Can I really encourage us to um, be very quick to ourselves, encourage Matt and Pete as they step out today? I know Pete's done it quite a few times before. Matt's just had a baby. I'll let him tell you more about that probably in a minute. And so massive effort to come here still and, and speak to us. So why don't we just give a big clap and warm welcome to Matt, I think, as he starts us off. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? Good. Um, good morning, guys. My name is Matt. Um, myself and Pete are going to be uh, continuing the series on Abraham and Faith for Fruit, which will be great. Uh, we're really excited. We've had a good time chatting about it together. Um, I found a fiver in my, in my pocket this morning, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> the obvious reward for wearing my smart trousers. And um, <laughs> I was, uh, During the worship, I, I thought to myself, there's, there's one thing I did when I found that fiver, um, and there's one thing I didn't do. Um, if we were to count up my, my assets, I owned that fiver at that point. It was just in the bottom of my drawer. Um, and the thing that I did, I said, come on, we've got a fiver and a baby. Um, <laughs> we've got a fiver. Uh, the thing that I didn't do was look at the fiver and say, man, I could have done so much with that if I had it. I just grabbed it and said, that is mine. For a lot of us and for me, we live with God's promises often that he just loves us and that we're okay. And when we discover that again, we're not to say, um, oh man, I wasted so much time. We're just to say, this is great. Thank you, God. So I just thought I'd share that. Um, so we're going to be uh, carrying on a little bit from last week, thinking about how the names and the identity that, that God gives us, um, and then thinking about doubt and how we, we handle that. I think we've entitled our talk, Watch Out Doubts About, which is good. <laughs> so um, starting from Genesis 17, uh, 15 to 27, I'm going to read this um, and we'll get going. Uh, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear, you, bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, all bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, all bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Great. Good. Um, I'm a teacher, uh, I deal with a lot of name calling, and in the preach I've got there's some more name calling, which is, uh, which is good even in my summer holidays. Um, and when we were thinking about um, calling what we we're going to call our baby, as obviously as, as all good parents uh, should do, we, we sought some counsel. Um, and you don't have to look too far or ask Google too much until you find a baby name generator, and I've circled for you there the criteria that you can, that you can put in. So we were checking out some boys' names initially, um, surname Wood. Um, and we, we thought we'd have a little bit of Hebrew and maybe an English name, just 
old and new mixed up. And you click generator name, it's really easy. It makes the whole process, which is quite tricky, really, really easy. So you click generator name. First of all, we got Tyler Jupiter Preston Wood. Um, and you see there, I put in Latin as well, because we're quite cultured at, um, at our house as well. So quite intelligent people. Um, we wanted to cover all bases, so we had another go. Jeremiah Seth Justin Wood, uh, a nice ring to it again. So there's, um, we were thinking we were onto something. We wanted to, again, cover all bases, so we made sure that we, we were sorted for, for girls' names also. Um, Judith Sydney Lola May Wood came up, which was great. Um, Sydney with a C, a bit of an untapped resource in the name world, I think. So um, we'll, we'll bank that one for the, uh, for the future. Um, again, wanted to include the youth group who... Um, which we help out with um, in, the, in the name calling. So um, we asked them for some suggestions. Um, you see, they. Yeah, the eyes immediately are drawn to Herod and Judas Wood as options. Really encouraging that they get into their Bibles and they are, are really taking things seriously, which is good. Um, but the, the key message with the key message here with, with name calling is that. This just isn't a random thing. Um, we obviously uh, agonised over what was the right name for what turned out to be our little boy. Um, and within the name that we were thinking, it, was, it represented his identity as part of our family. It represented our promise to him that we were going to love him and the purpose that he was going to play a key role in our, in our family and be part of our lives. Um, and that's what we see God doing again here in this passage where he is naming Sarai. So um, we can see here. It says in verse uh, 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her uh, Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And then follows this up with his promise. I will bless her and make sh- uh, will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she'll be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And both of these names, Sarai and Sarah, they mean princess. Um, and I, I really like this because... Um, God takes Sarai where she's at um, and shows her um, his grace. Uh, Sarai is, at this point, is, is 90 years old. She's barren. She's living with the consequences of her previous lack of faith. She's got a son, Ishmael. Well, she hasn't got a son, Ishmael. Um, Ishmael has been born to her, her servant where she's tried to, to get a son for, for Abraham. Um, yet God says, Do you know, Sarai, you were called princess before. I'm now calling you Sarah. And that still means princess, but you're my princess. And within that, we're going we're gonna to see this promise come to fruition. We're going to see this come good. And he doesn't say, you were Sarai, you're going to be called Sydney with a C. He says, you are, you are still you, all of what you, all of what you were, all of your imperfect life, the consequences of that. Um, God knows this when he chooses Sarah, and he knows this when he chooses us, and he wants to meet with us, which is great. So in terms of naming, just, just a quick challenge and something to be thinking about is that what does God call me and what does he call us? Um, are the names that God wants us to shake off and put down, sometimes rip them off and put them down? And are there other ones that he wants us to, to pick up? Because to, to Sarah, he doesn't say barren. He says princess. Um, he doesn't say failure. Uh, he says, you're my child. I'm proud of you. To us who believe in Jesus, he doesn't say sinner. He says forgiven one who I died for. He doesn't say unfulfilled potential. He says assured promise. That fiber was always there. He doesn't say doubter. He says, I've got grace for you. Um, so it's something in terms of this naming, it's so important and we see, God's, we see God's grace in it. Just like when we were naming our boy, um, God is naming us 
and he is telling us that he loves us, which is great. So um, how do we respond to this? Um, and it's really good that we can look in, in the Bible and we can see what Abraham did. And it says in verse 17, Abraham fell face down. And first and foremost, we see Abraham who is humble before God. He's been on a journey. Um, he's doubted, but he is at a point now where he's looking up or down in effect, but he's, in effect he's saying to God, you are God and I certainly am not. And he's face down on the ground saying, God, you're speaking to me and all I can do is listen. And immediately for me, there's, when I see this awe that Abraham is, is, is showing, um, he knows he's standing before God. And I challenge myself and I say, how often do I just say, God, you are God, I'm not. I'm going to submit to you. And it represents a real challenge to me. So Abraham is at a place first and foremost where he's simply saying, God, I'm here, I'm listening, I submit, I'm in awe. You are God and I am not. Um, and then it gets really exciting because next up we see possibly the best bit of punctuation in the English language, a semicolon. And I, 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 get, I teach PE at school and also teach some science. And um, in order to get particularly lazy boys to, to write something more than the bare, bare minimum, I have to get pretty excited about things like uh, punctuation. So I tell them that I absolutely love a semicolon. I love a connective. Give me a because, an and, a therefore, anytime. Brilliant. But give me a semicolon, and I get really, really excited. You'd be amazed how many semicolons I get in my writing, often written semicolon, which is, which is great. Um, which is good. But semicolon, in, they, they add some extra information and they add a bit of flair to your writing. So I was really excited to see what was going to come next. We've got Abraham in awe. We've got Abraham face down before God. Um, so Abraham fell face down, semicolon. He praised God in the highest places. Or Abraham fell face down, semicolon. He sang a new song. What was it going to be? And it says, brilliantly, um, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And immediately, when I see Abraham who's submitting to God, I see a bit of doubt, and I see a human trying to get to grips with the plans of God, and I'm encouraged. He laughed. I think I'd probably do the same. Um, there's a couple of options why he might have laughed. Um, there's probably many, but a couple I can think of. Um, it might have been some kind of sort of euphoric laughter and joy at God's wonderful promise. Um, it might have been, with respect, God, you're having a laugh here. Um, I like the second option, particularly because Abraham goes on to say, will a, man be born to, will a, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? And then does some quick maths just to make sure that age gap hasn't changed through the years. That makes Sarah 90. Um, and then offers God immediately another more realistic option. Can't the blessing just go to Ishmael? Can't it just work that way? And we see back to when Vincent and Sarah were talking about works and trying to make things happen yourself. Um, we see a guy who's doubting. We see a guy who is, knows his place before God. He knows that God is God and that he certainly isn't. But he is doubting and he is getting to grips with the things of God as a human. And I find that really encouraging because that's definitely me. Um, so he, he shows at this point disbelief and doubt. But we're seeing him face down. We're seeing him before God saying, you are in charge and I submit. So this isn't an immovable doubt. This isn't saying this just can't happen. This is a human trying to get to grips with things, which is good. So if this is to happen, what you say is going to happen, then this has got to be God. And that's what we're seeing here, I think. Um, so we're going to look at this next part then in terms of this doubt that he might be facing in terms of two things, um, unhealthy doubt and healthy doubt. And the first one, if we, uh, if we go on, um, we see... Um, 
unhealthy doubt. And the first thing it says is that um, with unhealthy doubt, all eyes are on me. And it's characterized by phrases like, um, this can't be done, I can't do this, I'm not strong enough, there's no way that people are going to listen to me, there's no way I'm going to be able to have a son at 100. And if anyone actually knew me, they wouldn't be telling me God loves me. It's things like that. Um, and it's the key word in all of these kind of phrases, in this unhealthy doubt that we can find ourselves in, is, is I and me. And the focus is on, our, on ourself and our circumstance that we find, in, uh, find ourselves in. And with matters of God, all of these phrases, they are in fact true. Because we can't, and I can't, be the man God wants me to be. And I can't do the, thing God's wa- the things that God wants me to do. What we're saying there is 100% true. I can't do this. But this is freeing. Because the good news is that God knows this. And he says, look at me. Um, and that's what we need to do. Um, which is where we get into something called, which we called healthy doubt, where all of our eyes, or all eyes, are then on God, and things become possible. Um, and I think we're seeing this with Abraham, because he's in this position of reverence, where he's on the floor, face down, saying, God, you are massive, and I'm not. But there's also this doubt. It's healthy doubt. It's an understanding that what God, God is saying is bigger than him as a human, and it can only be through God. He's fallen on his face, and he's laughed. He's showing reverence, and he's showing doubt all in one. Um, when, we, when we find this, in order to doubt healthily, we need to look at doubt in light of our previous experience of God's faith, when he's been faithful to us, and sometimes it might just be clinging on to those things when, when that's come through. Um, looking at a couple of things in the, in the Bible where people have, uh, other people have been given um, huge things to do, huge promises, and they've doubted in a healthy way, such that they've looked at God and eyes have been focused on God who can, not me or them who can't. Um, when Mary's told that she's going to have um, a baby and he's going to be Jesus, she says in Luke, how will this be? It says, Mary asks the angel. And just make sure that he really knows what he's saying. Since I'm a virgin, um, things need to happen to have a baby. Um, he, the, the promise is affirmed to Mary, and she simply says, I am the Lord's servant. She's demonstrating a doubt there, but her eyes are on God who can and not on um, herself who can't. Um, and Jesus, when he is going to go to the cross, he agonized in the garden, taking, looking at the magnitude of what the promise that he was going to fulfill by dying on the cross for us. Um, he said, is there any other way? And he, he, what he did was he looked at his father and had his eyes on God, who made the impossible possible. He doubted in a healthy way. He said, this is the size of what's being asked, and I need to look at God, not myself. Um, and I can say from my own life, I can remember finishing university, um, sprinting my way through uni in, in every single way, um, being hit hard with the reality of the real world, um, being exhausted from working really hard, having a ridiculously shaky understanding of God and Jesus, uh, burdened by the well-meaning but quite dagger-like phrase, Matt Wood's got so much potential, um, aware of my huge shortcomings. I was, found myself in this wave of unhealthy doubt where all of my eyes were on me. I, I can't do this. You can't love me. There's no way that I'm strong enough. I can't be the man you want me to be. I've messed up. Um, And it was through encouragement and through other people being really, really good that I was able to say, actually, no, I'm not going to say those things. I'm going to ask, God, can you really love me? Is your love really big enough for me? Is all I need to actually do believe in you? And it's just changing that, that outlook in those times when we're just aware that God is 
aware of the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in are so much bigger. All the promises, as in the case of Abraham, um, are so much bigger than what we can do that we need to look at God and say, I'm going to doubt in a healthy, healthy way. Um, so in my life, God did, and, um, did say yes to all those things. He said, uh, yes, I do love you. Yes, I am big enough. Yes, I am going to be with you. Um, because I said, all my eyes are now going to be on you. And I'm gonna, when I have doubts, I'm going to take them to you. Um, and in fact, when we do doubt, it's actually a vehicle through which faith grows. Um, because we start seeing God and not ourselves, and we see him coming through. Um, just before I pass over, hand over to Pete, um, it, it might simply be that you, you, you're saying, uh, what on earth are you talking about? I don't believe any of this. And I'll just ask you to apply a similar principle to your own doubts and question in a healthy way. Um, is any of this true? Are you there, God? Um, and it would be, our, it'd be sort of my sort of conviction that he would answer in a, in a positive way. Um, healthy doubt over unhealthy doubt is how we, we see God. Did Matt do a great job there? I thought going to Monday Night Football two weeks after I had our first, um, first daughter was a, a good effort, but preaching a week after, now that's something special. What a hero. Um, so we're just going to be exploring over the next 15 minutes how God responds to us in, the, in times of doubt. So Matt's looked excellently at the kind of unhealthy and healthy doubt that we can experience. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to take it that little bit further. See how God responds to us. There's two points there. And then how do we respond back to him? Everyone in this room would have been to the doctors at some point. It's guaranteed. Um, but have you ever been when you kind of think to yourself, is what, I've got, is what I'm going to see this doctor about actually worth seeing them about? kind of think, is this, am I going to get there? And they're going to say to me, actually, it's just a bruise. you just got to get over it. Man up, Pete, come on. Well, my wife's good to me. She says, if you're feeling down, Pete, if you feel that you need to go to the doctors, you're the man, you need to get down there. It's got to be serious. So I go down there. There's this one occasion. The doctor checked me out. He sat me down. He looked at me in the eye and said, it's serious. Mr. Lockhart, I'm glad you've come in this morning. It is serious. It's worse than first feared. It's man flu. <laughs> he said, but don't worry. I know just the thing. We're going to get through this. What a relief. You're thinking, great. He understands my pain. He knows what I'm going through. He responds to my needs. And it's the same with God, with doubt. You see, sometimes we can approach him thinking, you know what, I feel embarrassed. Perhaps I don't want to go. Maybe I feel fearful. Maybe, you know, he's just going to tell me to just get over it. No, God responds to us. He sits us down. He looks at us in the eye and says, Mr. Lockhart, I'm glad you came in this morning. It is serious, but we're going to get through this. He knows just how to deal with it. So that's what we're going to explore. So two points. First off, God responds by affirming us. So we see in this passage, when God reaffirms the promise to Abraham about becoming a, a great nation, Abraham's response was one of laughter, like Matt lift, looked at. One of cynicism rather than joy. I mean, do you blame him? The guy's 100 years old. Things would literally be falling off him. Also, the thought of him rocking a baby to sleep in the middle of the night, I mean, that's petrifying at my age. And I've got two, I mean, at 100, I mean, come on. And then the promise was spoken over him 25 years previous. He'd been, he'd been waiting for this 25 years ago. Yet when God reaffirms his promise, he commands him to name his son Isaac, meaning he laughs. I'm thinking, 
give this guy a break. I mean, can you imagine naming your son over a moment of weakness? He'd been spending 25 years waiting for this promise. You might have thought he would say to him, name him Isaac, meaning God is faithful. Name him Isaac, meaning the first of many. No, God in his wisdom commands Abraham to call him Isaac in, the mo- in illustrating his time of weakness. I mean, can you imagine introducing your, your family to some, friend, to some people you hadn't met after your weaknesses? This is my eldest, anger. This is my daughter, jealousy. She's the one good at guitar. Then there's disbelief and envy, our latest addition. What is going on here? Is God trying to humiliate him? Is God trying to demean him? No, what God is doing here is he's effectively wrapping Abraham's moment of weakness up in his promise. And in doing so, he's affirming him. You see, by naming his son Isaac was proclaiming, my power is made perfect in your weakness. You don't need to be perfect for me to fulfill my promises. This name wasn't random, as Matt said. So by God commanding Abraham to call him Isaac was a public declaration of God's affection and faithfulness despite Adam's weakness. He is affirming Abraham. Moreover, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. In his moment of weakness, in his doubts, the time when he didn't believe, God didn't discredit him as righteousness. He didn't delay the, the, the promise. He didn't retract it. He fulfilled it. Our God is gracious. The Bible says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knows the depths of our hearts and still loves us. He knows all the rubbish that we've been up to. He knows all our shortfalls and failings, and his promise still remains. What a great God. What an amazing Savior. Second point, God understands. He understands us in the moment of doubt. In life, when we're going through things, sometimes it's really helpful to have someone there who's been through something similar to what we've, what we've gone through so that they can get alongside us, put their arm around us. Childbirth is not one of these moments. You don't go into hospital with your wife thinking, I know how you're going to feel. I, kn- I know how this is going to be for you. Matt obviously has just had a baby. He confided in me shortly after they had their little boy that he had a really bad mouth ulcer. I thought, Matt, <laughs> Matt, listen, you didn't mention it to Kathy. He said, no. He said, can you imagine it? In the middle of contraction, speaking to the midwife, have you got any pain relief for this uh, ulcer? I mean, Kath's an amazing woman, but I can imagine her turning to Matt being, are you serious? You have no idea what pain is right now. Keep that one to yourself. Yet we go to a God who understands. Not one who's distant and far away, not able to understand our emotions and feelings, but in Jesus we find one who understands in every way. And therefore we can approach him with complete confidence and assurance. It says this in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with our time of weakness. Thankfully, we can go to to Jesus and we can go to him before his throne of grace with confidence. The reason you see that Jesus is able to understand us in our time of need is because of God's amazing rescue plan. You see, Jesus had to die in our place. But we need to understand that Jesus and God the Father had this amazing relationship. They had this amazing intimacy. And when Jesus died, he had to be separated from God because death is separation from him. 
God is life. When we die, we're separated from him. And you see, Jesus died that, so that we didn't have to experience that separation from God. And as Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He questioned God, where are you? Where are you? Jesus, fully knowing, understands that when we question God, where are you? Is God going to pull through? But Jesus himself went through the same experience on the cross. Yet Jesus remained perfect. We therefore don't need to feel ashamed or fearful when we question God. And God was faithful. Sin was dealt with. And Jesus rose victorious. Amen. Therefore, we can come before him in confidence, knowing that he sees and he understands. If we put our trust in him, there is no condemnation from him. So those are the two points how God responds to us that I wanted just to talk on. So he affirms and he understands. And now how do we respond back to him? C.S. Lewis said this, If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith will grow stronger. It knows God more certainly and can enjoy God more deeply. So if we can enjoy God more deeply through doubt, how do we respond in these moments? First off, take aim. Direction of faith is more important than the size of faith. Have you ever been on a car journey? You get to a fork in the road and you're thinking, I'm completely lost. I have no sat-nav, no map. I don't know which way to go. Men here will all know that we have the gift of navigation. And I will be, Cheryl, my wife, it's definitely right. I'm not, you know, I don't have a map. I just, I just know these things. It's definitely right. She'll be thinking, Pete, I think it's left. No, Cheryl. So I took this decisive. I said, we're going to go right. There was one occasion I was wrong. And uh, now where, did we, we got completely lost. Did we get lost because of my, my certainty of my faith or the, the direction I pointed the car in? It was the direction I pointed the car in. You need to point the, the car in the right direction to get where you need to go. Are you aiming your faith in the right direction? We see Abraham in this story aiming his faith in the wrong direction. Abraham and Sarah tried to force a promise upon themselves to Ishmael. In doing so, they were clearly trying to for, you know, force a promise of God in their own efforts. Are there areas in life where you're trying to bring about God's promises over in your own strength? If only I did this, then maybe I'd be good enough. If only I read my Bible, then God would love me. If only I had that salary, then I'd be able to provide for my family. If only I had that job. If only I was at that university. If only I had got those grades, then I would have that status. Even though Abraham was aiming his faith at himself and circumstances, God still delivered. God was faithful. So God speaks over us in our weaknesses. In me, you're good enough. I love you for who you are. I will provide for you. Your status is in me. You are mine. The firmness of your faith is not defined by the size of faith, but in the direction of your faith. Therefore, take your eyes off self and circumstances and look to Jesus, for he is faithful. Last point, take action. When we aim our faith in the right direction, it leads us to take action. We realize that God's strength, we can do all things, so that we take the step of faith. And that's exactly what Abraham did. God commanded Abraham to circumcise every male in the community. And on that day, Abraham went and did so. He took action immediately. If he completely disbelieved God, then he wouldn't have bothered doing so. 
And as he questioned God, he expected a response and he acted upon it. Let our moments of questioning lead us into action. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask all the males in this room to make an orderly cue to my right and we'll start the circumcision. That's just going to get messy. You see, you see, circumcision was both costly and inclusive, an act that illustrates the cost of laying down your old self, your own flesh, your own desires. Abraham went and performed this act of submission to everyone. It was inclusive, young and old, slave or free, foreigner or not. Jesus' promise to us is exactly the same. It is costly. It is inclusive. It is open to anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. Yes, it will be costly, laying down your old self, laying down your own flesh, your desires. But in doing so, you're dying to yourself and you're being raised up with him. And the promises over you are eternal life, life in abundance, everlasting peace. It's amazing. When we question God, do we, like Abraham, expect a response? And do we act upon it? I know, why not take that little step of faith this morning and say, I know God is with me, so I'll give it a go. I'm going to get through this. God will provide for my needs. Perhaps you're here thinking, I don't even know whether Jesus is actually real. Why not take, take action and ask God to open your eyes to him? Go on an Alpha course. Speak to one of us after the service. Chat to someone. Give it a go. Jesus takes that little bit of faith and says, great start. Keep exploring. Keep looking. Remember, it's not the size of your faith. You don't have to have all the answers, just the willingness to take that step of faith. So we've looked at two spectrums of doubt, healthy, looking at Jesus and taking action, and unhealthy, self and circumstantial. We have seen that doubt isn't off limits, it's part of the journey of faith. He affirms us in it, he completely understands us in it, and, it is, and he is faithful through it. In fact, as Matt said, doubting with our eyes on God can be a vehicle through which faith grows. God isn't looking at the size of our faith, but in the direction of it. Take your eyes off self and look to him. I think it'd be good just to pray. And so before I pray, actually, I think it was, it's always good to maybe respond. Maybe some of you here this morning are thinking, you know what, I've been looking at a circumstance in my life where I think I can't get through this. And uh, you've been looking at your own efforts, your own capacity, your own abilities, your own strengths, and maybe your own weaknesses, and thinking, you know what, this situation before me is actually quite daunting, and I can't get through it. So when I pray, I'm just going to ask if there is anyone here this morning who wants to just raise their hand as I pray in a bit, to say, you know what, that is taking that first step of action, that is that first little bit, just raising your hand, saying, you know what, I'm going to take my eyes off self, off of circumstances, and I'm going to look to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you know us. I thank you that you understand whatever we go through. I thank you that you love us, that you've given us a new identity for those who put their trust on you, in you. You wrap your loving arms around us. God, I pray that as we go through life, and no doubt we will have doubt and questioning, that we'll question sometimes, are these promises over our lives, are they really real? Sometimes we can think, is this too good to be true? Or maybe it's even thinking, God, do you really exist? Where are you in this moment? I thought you were going to be with me. Lord, we want to say before you today, Lord, we're going to use that little faith that we have and say, yes, I'm yours. Yes, I'm going to take my eyes off self and circumstances and look to you. Jesus, we know that you're good and you're the only one who is able to fulfill your promises time and time again. So if there's anyone here this morning who kind of may be thinking, you know what, I need to look to Jesus in this situation. 
I just ask that you just raise your hand for a moment just now. Lord, we just want to pray for these guys, Lord, as they take their eyes off self and circumstances, that you'll remind them of your power and sovereignty, that in every and any situation, you're bigger and better than we could ever understand. You literally blow our minds. God, I really pray that we'll have that confidence in you, that you're with us and for us in this. May we just, may they just have a real, just prevalent experience of your faith in those moments, just knowing that you are there, that you love them, and that they can look to you and know that you are with them in it. Thank you for this morning. Be with us as we go from this place. In your name. Amen.